Last night, Manchester City won the Champions League. It's the final piece in a great treble of trophies, an incredible achievement. As a result, today, Pep Guardiola has been described as the greatest football manager ever. Now, that is a bold claim, but those that make it think they can back it up with evidence. Alongside the trophies, they believe that he's changed the game itself. He's invented new tactics and new positions. He's also developed young players from being fairly ordinary to being world class. As a result, some experts really do believe him to be the best. Now, I know that not everyone here is into football, but this debate got me wondering, who would we say are the best people that we have ever been led by? I want us to really think about this for a moment. Who have been the strongest leaders that have influenced our lives? Maybe they were a teacher at school or a tutor at university. Maybe they were a boss or a line manager at work. Maybe they were sports team captain or the conductor of a choir or orchestra that we were in. Maybe they were the minister of a church. Who comes to mind when you think of a good leader in your life? Now I'd like you to hold that name in your head and now ask a second question of them. What made them so good? What was it about them that inspired you so much? What enabled them to make such a difference in your life or to achieve such strong results in the arena that you were in? Have a think for a moment. Now, I don't know who you will have thought of. But I guess we will have all come up with some ideas of characteristics that, for us, make a good leader. Does anybody here want to call one out? What do you think makes a good leader? What are they like? What do they do? Any ideas? What did you think of? Strength of character. Strength of character. A strong character. Jean? Loving and caring. So loving and caring. So strong, but also loving and caring. Okay. Anybody else? Stands up for people. Stands up for people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess for me, good leaders are engaging and visionary figures. They're dynamic, they're inspiring, they're strong, they're wise. But they're also servant-hearted. A good leader cares for those that they are leading. They'll want to support their team in both life and work. And they will even roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty to help those that they are responsible for. Perhaps that's a conversation we can continue further over coffee. What makes a good leader? Now, the reason that I started this sermon with those questions is because they introduce what John 10 is about. This chapter is all about leadership. It is about what makes a good leader. And on those grounds, who is the true leader of God's people? If you were here last week, you will know that these questions spill over from the events of chapter 9. 
In that chapter, Jesus healed a man born blind. But when the Pharisees found out about it, they were indignant. They refused to believe the man's testimony. And large parts of chapter 9 there were made up of this long interrogation where they were trying to work out Jesus' true identity. Is Jesus a prophet, a speaker of God's word? Well, the healed man said he was, but the Pharisees said he was a liar. Is Jesus from God, a doer of divine works? Well, the healed man said he was, but the Pharisees said he was a sinner. Is Jesus the Messiah, God's anointed king? Again, the healed man said he was, but the Pharisees said he was a fraud. And with this debate raging, the ordinary people of Israel were left with a big choice to make. <coughs> Who was going to be their leader from this point on? Would it be the Pharisees who they'd followed up to now? The religious teachers, the holders of political power in the land? Or would it be Jesus? Who would they listen to? Who would they obey in times of conflict? Who would they choose to follow with their lives? This was a very big decision. So Jesus moves on to tell a parable that will help his audience. It's a parable about leadership and how to spot a true leader, a good leader, when different options are available. Famously, this parable revolves around the image of a shepherd. Now, shepherds are something that we are familiar with on Isla. We're used to seeing them in the fields with their sheep, and that knowledge is going to help us this evening. But shepherds were also very familiar to the first century people in Israel. Jesus always formed parables with characters that the ordinary people would understand. But there was one very important reason why Jesus told this parable about the shepherds on this particular occasion. And we need to be aware of it. In the Old Testament, the shepherd is used as the image of a good king. Shepherds became a metaphor for kings through David. King David was Israel's greatest king, a man described as being after God's own heart. And David started life as a shepherd. And in truth, Israel wanted all their kings to be like David. Brave and courageous, strong and determined, hands-on and practical. Not puffed up with wealth, but relevant to the average person. And perhaps most of all, caring of their flock. So because of David, the shepherd became the metaphor for the king. And his flock, of course, were the ordinary people. Now this metaphor carries right on through the Old Testament. We began this service with a reading from Ezekiel, where later kings of Israel were also described as shepherds. But sadly, God was often judging those later kings for their poor leadership and announcing that one day he would send his own shepherd to rule in their place. This was a prophecy that the people had held on to for centuries. They longed for the day when God would send his shepherd king and get their lives back on track. It was their greatest hope. Now all of this is important background to the parable. And by introducing it to you, hopefully we can now see that what Jesus is saying here 
is political dynamite. When he announces himself as the good shepherd, he is saying, I am the king. I am the king that you have been waiting for. I am the king prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I am the one who will lead the people into God's great future. In other words, you need to follow me. Not the Pharisees or the other jumped up leaders in the land. And Jesus is very clever here because through this parable, he gives four reasons, four pieces of evidence to back up his claim. He explains why he is the one leader that the people should follow. Let's have a look briefly at those four reasons. The first reason Jesus gives is that he has a personal relationship with the people. This is verses 1 to 5. Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, as you all know, there is a cat that lives in my house. Her name is Bella. But Bella is definitely not my cat. She is solely Emily's. I can stand at the back door for ages calling Bella in and there'll be no sign of her at all. Emily would just walk to the door, start calling her name, and Bella would instantly run up the steps from where she was hiding under the shed. Now, why is Bella <coughs> like that? It's because Emily nursed Bella back to life. When just a few days old, Bella nearly died. But Emily treated her through the night and brought her back to health. And there's now a great bond between the two. The same is true of shepherds and their sheep. Sheep will only respond to their personal shepherd. Why? Because they trust them. Over a, great, over a time, a great relationship has been built up. The shepherd has spent most hours of most days on the hill out with the flock. And as a result, the shepherd knows the individual characters of the sheep. He knows their markings. He, he knows their likes and dislikes. And the sheep know their shepherd. The sheep know their leader's voice, his whistle, his mannerisms. So much so, they will respond to no one else. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. He is describing a great distinction between him and the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not know the ordinary people. They didn't know their needs and difficulties. They didn't have a personal relationship with Joe Bloggs on the street. And we saw that plainly in the last chapter. They would rather have one of their people stay blind than have him healed on the Sabbath. And if they truly known that man, they couldn't possibly have felt like that. They would have rejoiced with him when he gained his sight. No, the Pharisees ruled through rules. 
Jesus ruled through relationship. And as a result, Jesus says they are false shepherds. Jesus knows his people intimately. He knows our worries. He knows our struggles. He knows what we're going through day by day. And he's deeply concerned about us. He has compassion for our suffering. And he gently calls us by name, lovingly calling us in to receive his help. This is true leadership. This is how a good shepherd behaves. So Jesus has a personal relationship with his people. The second reason he gives is that he protects the people. This is based on verses 7 to 13. Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me, i.e. the Pharisees, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In the ancient Near East, shepherds did not often use specially made pens. Instead, they would herd the sheep into a rocky crevice or a gully. And then they would lie down in the entrance to block the sheep from getting out. Once in place, the shepherd himself acted as the gate. The gate was his body. The shepherd decided who came in and which sheep went out. And this laying down with the sheep helped the sheep to feel safe. It was comforting the flock to know that the shepherd that they knew and loved was with them right through the night. And it also enabled the shepherd to put himself between the sheep and those wanting to do them harm. Jesus' little parable goes on to talk about thieves and robbers and wolves, all who wanted to harm the sheep or steal them away. Well, if they wanted to get to the sheep, they had to go through the shepherd first. Jesus said that a good shepherd will stand and fight off the attackers, even at grave personal risk. Whereas a hired hand, who did not have that personal relationship with the flock, would just have run away to protect their own safety. Here then is another great distinction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus protected the most vulnerable in the community, whereas the Pharisees made their lives harder. Just remember the way Jesus taught, treated that woman who was caught in adultery. He stood up for her. He stood beside her. He got in the way of the angry mob who wanted to stone her to death. The Pharisees were the ones with the stones. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus stood up for the oppressed. He protected widows and prostitutes and outcasts and foreigners. Whereas all the rules and bluster of the Pharisees caused them great pain. The ordinary person couldn't meet the standards of the Pharisees. 
And so all good things were taken away from them. And still today, we as believers can know Jesus to be protecting us. It doesn't mean that our lives will always be easy. But each and every moment, he's by the Father's side praying for us. And of course, on the cross, he defeated our greatest enemies. We are saved from death and evil, devil and hell. He truly is the good shepherd that we need. So Jesus has a personal relationship with his people and he protects them. The third thing Jesus speaks about is the purpose of his life. Listen again to verses 14 to 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life to the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now we all know that the purpose of a shepherd is to build up their flock, to add to their number. And this usually takes place through the breeding of the sheep. But Jesus switches this round a bit and says that he's going to add to the flock by bringing in sheep that were not originally in the fold. He's going to bring in foreign sheep and make one large flock with them included. In days to come, all the different sheep will live together under his leadership. In this verse, Jesus is clearly talking about Gentiles, non-Jews. He's saying that he hasn't just come to be king of Israel, but king of the whole world. And he's going to bring all the nations in to be part of God's people. This is great visionary leadership. But of course, everything that Jesus says here was bitterly opposed by the Pharisees. They didn't want to bring the nations in. They wanted to keep them out. They were trying to make Israel pure and believe that foreigners would be a source of contamination to that. Now, of course, the Pharisees' desire for holiness among the people originally had been a very good one. But as it had got pushed to extremes, it had begun to counteract the very plans and purposes of God. If you remember right back at the beginning of the Bible, when God called Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, he announced that he'd chosen him to bring blessing to all the nations. And again, throughout the gospel, we see Jesus practically demonstrate this great distinction. Do you remember John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well? She was an outsider, a non-Jew. Yet Jesus demonstrated incredible love and compassion towards her. And as a result, she came to faith and ended up bringing the whole of her village with her. Jesus is a better leader because his purpose is much wider. It's visionary, inclusive. It's world changing. One great flock of people are being made through him. One great flock of people ruled over by the king. So Jesus was a great leader who had a personal relationship with his people. He'd go to great lengths to protect them. And he had this great purpose that he was going to add to their number. There's one final detail to come. Jesus was a great leader because he was prepared to die for those he was responsible for. And of course, this is what sets Jesus apart 
from all the other leaders in our lives. Verses 17 to 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus' great love for the sheep, the people, will lead him to sacrifice his very life for them. This is really important. For Jesus, self-sacrifice is the defining mark of the Messiah. It is the true model for Christian leadership. All of Jesus' ministry was inspired by his father's great love for him. And he wanted others to experience that love for himself. So he pours out that love by laying down his life. And you'll see this right throughout the Bible. Real love, real love, true love is fulfilled in the sacrificial giving of yourself. Jesus states here that soon he will embrace death. To save his flock from the wolf of sin. And the father will be so pleased by that action that he will raise him to life again afterwards. Now of course the crowd there that day could not possibly have known the significance of all these words. But as the tension was building around him, Jesus knew that his day was coming nearer. And he embraced it with a clear vision. Jesus is the best leader that we will ever follow because he gave up his perfect life on the cross for us he gave everything for us to forgive us our sin and to grant us eternal life and when he'd done everything he then invites us to follow As Jesus ends this parable in verse 19, we can see that the crowd are divided in response. They might not have understood everything he said, but they knew Jesus had just made a damning attack on the religious leaders. They also knew that he'd just made a huge claim about who he was. He was the promised shepherd of God, the good king that the people had waited for. The Pharisees were never going to accept this. They were never going to concede their own power. They wanted to be the leaders, not those that were led. And as a result, they reject Jesus again, lashing out at him, calling him names, declaring him mad. However, there were some there that day who took a different approach. The ordinary people, the humble believers, probably sick of the Pharisees' leadership and desperate for something new. In Jesus they found what they had longed for. Now that we have heard the parable, the same decision is placed before us. Jesus claimed to be the greatest leader, the true king, the gate to eternal life and the good shepherd. Will we accept him or will we reject him? Will we allow him to lead us for the rest of our lives? Or we deny him and choose to follow one of the other leaders in our world today? I urge us to follow Jesus with everything we have.